And now we come to the fourth of these divine abodes. Psychological states to hang out in when feeling sublime. It's um, this state, equanimity, Pali word upekka, actually is, um, it's like a result of understanding more than it is a method of understanding. As we practice it, we can attempt to use it as a method to help us be wiser. But um, the bulk of it really happens. The state that, this state that comes to us, comes to us increasingly over time because our understanding grows because of what we see as we go through our lives, as we go through our practice, as we become more conscious. More and more does the mind become steady and balanced and spacious, which are some of the characteristics of equanimity or balance. Non-reactivity. When we're not stable or steady or balanced or equanimous, something good happens and we are all thrilled and ecstatic and excited and want it. Something unpleasant or sad happens, we're completely bummed out and distraught and freaked out and trying to blame somebody or get rid of it. With equanimity, those highs and those lows don't affect us to such a degree. So we, we delight in and love the beauty and we feel sad and grief over the difficulty, but we're not so bummed out or freaked out or ecstatic. So when you think or reflect on the wise ones, any wise one you know, like your grandmother, if you happen to have a nice grandmother, she's probably not like ecstaticking all over the place or getting all bummed out all over the place. She's probably, ah, ha, ha, yes, yes, yes. In a kind of easy, steady sort of way. So we're actually becoming grandmothers before our time in doing this practice. Premature aging. How we do this to help ourselves in aging prematurely, particularly in this aspect regarding upeka, equanimity, is we attempt to remember, and of course you can't make yourself remember, just that you do remember sometimes, but the practice is to remember increasingly that the highs and the lows, the various experiences and events and exchanges that occur, which will always occur, don't occur in isolation from the matrix that has created them. Our tendency is to relate to the individual occurrences, events. This is good, great. This is bad, oh, awful. And forget why and how they have arisen. If we can remember why and how these things are created, in fact, the conditions out of which they come. They aren't separate from all these conditions. And when we remember this context, or if you like, matrix, these things are seen in context. So you know when you have people reporting something that's happened, and they say, but you've taken that completely out of context. And so it seems to be what it isn't really. When you see it in context, you understand it. Of course that's what was said, because this happened and then this, and it led to that. That last tone of voice is an upeka one instead of the, oh, this is unbelievable. How could you have said such a thing? Well, I said such a thing because this and this and this. 
led me to, etc. And so what we do in the practice is we attempt to remember the bigger picture rather than focus on the individual discrete ups and downs, vagaries, eight vicissitudes, 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows of our experience. So to put things in their context increases our ability to be wiser and more steady. So for instance, under the circumstances, such and such and such occurred. Or even you can say, under the influence of the circumstances. And even under implies something is washing over and causing this, whatever the current scenario is. We are under the influence of a myriad of conditioning. We have the tastes we have, we have the loves we have, we have the trigger points we have, we have the yearnings we have. Not, we don't just have them, period. We have them because we have learned that these are useful for ourselves or dangerous for ourselves or have affected us in some way. We have developed being who we are. We didn't just suddenly show up. It grew, this being influenced by so many conditions every day. Our tastes, our value systems, our politics, our opinions, everything is because of all kinds of other things. We don't, we don't stand alone. If we remember that we all, our behavior and each other's behavior, is influenced, is under the influence of broad, broad effects, we have a little more space we understand it a little more. It's understandable. may not be okay, but it's understandable because it came about by all these other influences. So as Sylvia Borstein says, it may be awful, but it's lawful. <laughs> like it's explainable. You know, at least it, it's, it makes sense. In fact, when something doesn't make sense, we try very hard to try and make it make sense. And as soon as we understand, oh, we go, oh, I see, which is the flavor of equanimity. It's like, oh, of course. So my particular word for equanimity is, of course. <laughs> of course I got upset. I hadn't slept. My blood sugar level had dived. They said this really insulting thing. I forgot all about matter in the moment, so I got upset, of course. <laughs> So it's a kind of friendly allowing, but it puts things in this broader context. Or another way, it's backing up and seeing the bigger picture rather than up against the glass with just this one thing irritating you or bothering you or in some way affecting you. Sylvia, again, I have to quote, has this little saying, if you were to meet somebody in the street, you know, and they were saying, hello, how are you doing? How's it going? The only real answer is I couldn't be better. Because if I could, I would. <laughs> we would all be perfect if we could, wouldn't we? We are as good as we can be. We're doing the best we can under the influence of the circumstances that we're living in. So it's realistic. It takes the idealism out of the meta, which is wishing for lovely and happy and healthy and, and, and that may or that may not happen because realistically we're human, we're affected by things, things are sometimes difficult. So it brings it into, it makes it real. 
how could it be otherwise? So you see, when we forgive something, we forgive. That helps us with this, yes, of course it's like this. Of course it happened that way. I may not have understood all the forces, but of course it happened that way. How could I have behaved differently? I was only young. How could that person have known anything else? They didn't realize. That is the same thing as forgiveness. It's not a different thing. The phrase traditionally is, get ready for this one. (laughs) Your happiness, if you're giving this wish to another, your happiness or your unhappiness depends on your karma, not on my wishes for you. Some people translated that as your happiness, your unhappiness depend on your actions, not my wishes for you. So I have to say a little moment about karma. If we were to say actions, I don't, I'm not of the school to prefer that translation because it sounds like you're the only agent that's responsible for your well-being. And if you behave in a certain way, you'll be happy. And if you weigh in another way, you'll be sad. And so if you're having a hard time, it's all your fault. Or if you're sick, then you should have known better, kind of. So I find that very compressing and very uh, a setup to get very much into self-flagellation and all the rest of it. So karma, if it depends on my karma, my karma is somewhat the result of my own behavior, my contribution, but it's also my blood sugar level, my family of origin, my culture, my teachers, my sibling rivalry, blah, blah, blah. It's so many things. So my relationship with karma is this being in this moment is behaving in a way that is somewhat my intention and choice and somewhat all these other forces acting on my life. And my happiness or my unhappiness or yours depends on both these external influences and physical chemistry and mental well-being and your choice in this moment of how you continue. So it's both up to you and it's also under the influence of everything else. We aren't solely responsible, but we're not not responsible. We have some responsibility for how it unfolds in this life for ourselves and others, but only some. We can't change all those influences, our families of origin, our blood sugar levels, that's the way it is. But we can bring some choice to our attitude, our reactivity, our understanding. And that's the best we can do when we do it. What else can we do to reduce the sorrow of the world and contribute to the well-being in this world? Remembering this context is what equanimity is about. And that's why that phrase, your happiness or your unhappiness, depends on your karma, not my wishes for you. And now a thing to mention, as we always mention in these, there are the near enemies and the far enemies, which really is where we tend to um, abide because we are not exalted beings a lot of the time. Some of the time we are very wise and in very enlightened states and oftentimes not. And when we're not so enlightened, we are inhabiting the state of the ego. And these near enemies are ego additions to the pure state of whatever. So upekka, equanimity's near enemy, 
where we tend to go, the state that masquerades as equanimity but isn't the pure thing, is indifference. So you could see how your happiness and your unhappiness depend on your karma and not my wishes for you, so I'm going to pack my bags and go home because what difference does it make? Who cares anyway? It's all your business. So it's the disconnect. It's the turning away, the not staying open-hearted and connected and loving. That's the near enemy. The non-near enemy, the real upekka is... I love you, I care about your well-being, I wish for your well-being, knowing that my wishes may or may not, in fact, make you happy or not happy because there's all these other influences, all these other conditions bigger than me. It's bigger than me. But I'm still going to care. Not I'm going to then not care because it's bigger than me, so I give up. So we don't give up. We still are there, open-hearted and connected and realistic, not idealistic. Another, uh, a couple of other translations for that phrase, that long phrase, your happiness, your unhappiness depend on your karma, not my wishes for you. Um, could be, and some people use this, are things are as they are, or it is as it is, or mine, of course, of course. So what I'd like to do is to guide us in doing some of this, and you'll see how we do this together. Make sure you're comfortable. And we'll start this time not via metta. We'll start this time just letting yourself allow into your awareness whoever you've been with um, as a dear friend or perhaps a benefactor, some being, preferably if it's a benefactor, let it be a regular person rather than a supreme kind of being. a dear friend, a wise, helpful relative, or some such. And as usual, allow them into your energy field, picturing them, sensing them, remembering them, imagining, in whatever way you call them here to be with you. may include remembering experiences together and so on. Feeling your tenderness and openness towards this one, this dear one for you in your life. And then this is a reflection that as they live their lives out, at times they go through ups and at times through downs. So just reflect on remembering or imagining some ups and some downs that you know they have gone through or you can imagine they have or will experience. 
moments of celebration, uplift, moments of dejection or struggle, soft sorrow. And as you imagine this going for them, straight away, see if you can find phrases, a phrase, a simple phrase that expresses the understanding that this is of course, this is what happens when we're human. And say to them, meaning that I'm with you and I care for you, but I understand the bigness of the context of being human. Your happiness and your unhappiness depend on your karma, not on my wishes for you. Or you may be saying, things are as they are. Or yes, this is how it is for us humans, or of course. Just a few times repeating this. tuning into your caring rather than your indifference. You still care for them and you understand how they are at times happier and at times less happy. It's lawful. Without withdrawing your concern your connection. And now I encourage you to, with the same one, emphasize particularly their happiness. Some situation that you may already have noticed or remembered or has come up for you of their uplift, of their joy. Some fun or delightful or easy, or pleasant experience they've had or can have.
and move to the, to the uh, mudita phrase. Wish, may they be happy. May their happiness continue. May their happiness grow. And say a couple of these rounds of mudita in your own way, whichever way you've been doing. And then add a Nupeka phrase in there. Your happiness depends on your karma, though, of course, not on my wishes. And see what happens inside you, inside your heart, as you add that context for your wishing well. And then I'll suggest that we change and shift back the same one, working with the same one. Imagine them having some sorrow, something difficult, some illness or some loss or unhappiness. Take a few moments to picture the scenario, known or imagined and picture them in their struggle, whatever it may be, their grief. Remembering that they're they're dear to you, this being. This is your dear friend or your family member having a hard time. And let your compassion surround them as they struggle. And include now whatever your compassion phrase is for them. May you stay steady in the midst of your struggle here. Do this over and over a few times, as you already have done a couple of days ago. May this struggle of yours not disturb you too much, whatever your phrase. And now include an upeka wish. Your happiness and your unhappiness depend on your karma, not my wishes for you. 
see what happens to your compassion. Held in the context of realism versus idealism. And then we're going to go back one more step. The same being, not focusing on the ups, not focusing on the downs and struggles, but just this being who's dear to you. (coughs) Stabilize your sense of them or your picture of them in no particular circumstances, no charged ones anyway. Remembering, re-remembering what's special about them for you, what's dear, what touches you about them. And allow your regular meta-wishes to come from your caring heart to them as you have been doing oftentimes during this week. And then allow yourself to include now a phrase or two of understanding things are as they are, however. Your happiness, your unhappiness, your life unfolds due to your karma, not my wishes for you. or things will be as they will be. See if you can mingle with the metta, the caring, this feeling of allowing the changes of life, the ups and downs that will happen, come and go, that we cannot protect or stave off or hold on to for anyone. And can we still keep wishing our metta? So continue with your metta phrases. And every so often, allow this more reflective, spacious, things are as they are phrase.
And now we're going to back up. All this is going in a backwards direction, you can see. We're going to back up to ourselves. And we'll start with mudita. So, thanking your dear one who's been your companion in this exercise. Allowing them to step to the sidelines and bringing your focus to yourself in whichever way you are and have been, yourself as a young one or yourself in the mirror or just being with yourself, imagining yourself in some delightful, joyful, pleasant circumstance as you did yesterday. May my happiness continue And then include this remembering my happiness and unhappiness depends on my karma, not my wishes. Still, I wish for my happiness. Wishing yourself well, realistically. knowing sometimes you will have plenty of joy and delight and sometimes not so much because of the vagaries of being human. Of course. And let yourself imagine yourself in some difficulty. It may be the difficulty that you're in right now. Or it may be something you've recently experienced something that may occur and bring forward for yourself that sense of compassion. Hold yourself kindly and gently with your sorrow, your struggle, and with your compassion phrase or prayer or blessing. May I hold myself tenderly in this difficulty. Feeling compassion, empathy, sympathy, 
the quivering to allow yourself to feel the struggle, the shame. the grief, whatever it is, and then include this opeka remembrance. My unhappiness and my happiness depend on all these conditions, on my karma, not just on my wishes. flavoring the compassion with an openness of heart. Continue with the compassion. then again remember, of course I struggle. I'm a human. I'm not a liberated saint most of the time. And so I struggle. And I fall to the near enemies. I wish for my well-being, knowing that it comes and goes. Knowing that I remember and I forget. I become free and I get caught again. And allow yourself to move away from the awareness of struggle in your life, particularly as a focus, to just this backwards to the simplicity of being with yourself, regardless of the circumstances of ups and downs. Just this one, here with yourself, your innocent one, your sometimes afraid one, or confused one, or calm one, sweet one, all these different faces and aspects of who you are. And send your regular meta-wishes to yourself as we usually begin our practice. Back to the beginning. And then remembering upeka and the upeka phrase, whichever phrase you're finding works for you. And tell yourself, my happiness and unhappiness depend on my karma, 
not merely on my wishes. And noticing the caring for yourself or for your dear friend when you were there with that one and its influence by this spacious, realistic equanimity practice. You can play with having no equanimity and doing the simple other three, metta, karuna, mudita, and then include and surround them, infuse them with this wise, realistic, contextual aspect. Take these last few minutes to explore in whichever piece of this you feel connected or interested until I ring the bell. So in the interests of time, there we just were with the dear friend or with self. But perhaps you can see if you were working with a difficult person and you could bring in some metta, bring in some upekka to working with a difficult person as you work with them, you can see how it could, and the point of it would be to help 
realize this difficult person is difficult because they're having a difficult time and they don't re- and so suddenly the meta can be freed up to be more spontaneous for instance or if it's a neutral person someone you don't know caring for and wishing well to a complete stranger is difficult but when we put them in the context of their human and they struggle and they go through ups and downs and confusions sometimes it at least I have found that by remembering the upeka aspect, then the, the matter is, well, it's of course, we're all the same and we all care. So these practices that we're teaching you, even though we're teaching you them as though they were a different practice, I'm hoping that by, you know, later in the retreat you're seeing, they're actually flavors of each other. And it's a much more fluid practice than we have to be able to teach it to you so you can get a grasp of each one. They play together and they support each other, and at sometimes some is emphasized, and some can come and balance another. And this, you learn this dance as you practice, like it becomes more musical and less scales. <laughs> but we have to teach it more like scales initially to learn these different, what they are and how they work, but it becomes music actually. And this is absolutely essential. Without this spacious, realistic one, we so easily fall into the wanting the good and the struggling with the bad, which is the way we're wired anyway. And so this is the wise, free aspect that allows us to learn to flow with the ups and downs. Questions? In the very back, yes. Yes. The, um, the near enemy of Upeka is indifference, numbing down, dismissing, disconnecting. So it's um, detachment, and it's very slightly different from non-attachment. Attachment, of course, is wanting something to be a certain way, which is its far enemy. But the near enemy is detachment. Whereas the, you know, the true thing is not attached to whether it is working or not. Caring, can I care for your well-being and not be attached that actually it works and you get it, like I achieve something, there is a goal that I'm attached to. Usually if there's no goal, why bother? So, it, you know, we go from either a goal and wanting it or forget the whole thing and pack up your marbles and go home. So this is the in-between, it's caring and wishing well Anyway, maybe this will be helpful. It's the best I can do is contribute to some well-being, and it may or it may not be effective, so I'll do my best knowing that there's this whole world here that may or may not be. May, may, may you be well, and maybe you'll actually end up having a terrible headache. <laughs> okay? Yes, please, in black. I have a problem with understanding agency. Yes. Uh-huh. And all my training is to act, make a difference, and change the consequences of a natural process. Yeah. In your midwifery, yeah. there were times when you had to act. Yeah. You could not stand, yeah. compassionately or not, yeah. without also being skillful. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
possible, particularly when it is a sacrifice of self, not to exhaustion, but going the extra moment, the mm-hmm. extra mile. Mm-hmm. It's, um, thank you very much for this question. Did everybody hear? Um, the, the, the fine point about appreciating that there's the natural process and yet we can be helpful and sometimes we can actually even interfere and improve the scenario. It's the fine line between agency, like sub- submitting to the authority of nature or actually contributing more. It's all about that fine line. And it's about motivation. The motivation is from well intention. But if we do that and get um, attached to that my action is going to make all the difference, then when it doesn't make all the difference, we get angry with God or nature for... That's not the question. It's how much do we do? How much do we do? How much... Hmm. Right, 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 right. Uh, well, hmm, this is, I love this conversation. I love Dharma conversations. So um, I would say we do the best we can, given the circumstances, and those will change. So the best I can do for a while may be to really be there with somebody, but there comes a point when my being there any longer, I'm actually going to um, become anxious and lose it because I'm running on no sleep and I need some food now, so it's not realistic to keep on giving. It's not realistic. And so I need to also take care of my own needs. So there'll come a point when I have to include myself and my physical demands and my family's reality as well as the concern for this one here. So to, uh, there isn't a black and white line, but we need, we need to include the big picture. The big picture helps those decisions we make be held in, be wise decisions and not going on and on and on because we love so much that we run, we run ourselves ragged, for instance. For instance. Or, you know, we can't give up saying it's too late, it just isn't going to work. We go, we go as far as we can do realistically. But we need to be realistic. We all have limits and there is, life is limited, we are all limited. So this is Upeka bringing in the reality check that there are limits to everything. But if we just feel um, the hopelessness, that stops the giving and the caring. So it's this very fine balance between the caring and the the, uh, contribution we make to the world, but without having it to have to work out and then upsetting us when it doesn't or believing that if we just go on and on forever, we will be the one to change everything, which is not realistic. I don't know if this is addressing it, but so it's, a, it's, a, it's an endless quandary, but this practice can help, particularly the upeka, allow, yes, actually, I only can do so much, and then I have to do something else. So the answer, as usual, is an appropriate response. An appropriate response is the answer. <laughs> And that is the most beautiful answer because appropriate is understanding and response is caring and responsiveness. But uh, if it's just responding and responding and responding, it becomes inappropriate at times if we're... So the appropriate is the upeka. Please, over here. Would, wouldn't it be more accurate to 
Yeah. It seems like our thoughts or wishes is one of yes. a million different factors yes. that might affect their outcome. I like that. I, li- I slipped in a couple of times merely, if you may have noticed. But maybe you didn't. But that was what I was meaning. Not merely on my wishes. There is my wishes. So it doesn't negate the wishes, and it, and it doesn't... Subject, it doesn't like inflate the wishes either. They are contributing. So yes, I like that very much. I like that word just. I like that word in Vipassana practice too. Just sensation, just grief. Because <laughs> it's like, yes, it puts it into that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Please. It gets very interesting here because your state of mind is one more thing influenced by all those conditions. It can't be taken away from that. And so your state of mind is going to change depending on your blood sugar level, depending on how much meditation practice you have on your belt and remember you know, your presence of mindfulness or absence of it. So they're all karmic also. Karma is this fluid thing that we are creating and receiving all the time. So, so then suffering, my understanding of suffering, is, uh, is identifying, or unhappiness is un- identifying with causes and conditions and circumstances and taking them to be personal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that could be. Isn't that beyond common? Isn't that where the no self comes in? So then, your karma, when there is a sense of no self, then the karmic consequences of those moments of a non self are actual happiness. They're a sense of freedom. The consequences are being influenced, though, all around you by what you're influencing then is nothing but the positive, nothing but wholesomeness, the Buddha would call it. It's when we think of karma as personal, which we tend to do. And then if I don't have a person and I'm not confined in my sense of self, then there is no such thing as karma. Karma is simply the unfolding. And that unfolding and the quality of that unfolding is influenced by my consciousness. And that state of consciousness will add whichever spin, depending on the state of consciousness. When there is a complete openness of consciousness, there's no spin. But life unfolds, it continues to unfold. It's, it's, what the thing they say is, of course, the Pali language is really well made for this kind of discussion, and the English language is not. Specifically?
I think the piece which maybe I see it differently from you is that when there is no sense of self, in a moment of liberation, complete liberation, then there is no karma. And karma, my understanding of karma is not limited to self or no self. See, that's where I see it differently from you. I don't say that karma doesn't operate when there's no self. That's, that's, that's the, the liberation, is not being driven by yeah, karma. Not being driven by karma, but then you're creating in that moment something. Because you're living still alive. You still have a body, you still speak, you still meet people, you're still creating some kind of influence. It's purely wholesome in that moment because there's no sense of self. But there is that influence. What do you call that? I call that karma. It's just, it's, we get into this fine philosophy. We'll see what Guy has to say about this. <laughs> Please. So I just want to get this straight, what karma is. Who the 101? Is it, it's the unfolding of life? There's, I mean, this is a whole. T- this is many Dharma talks, and it's a, it's a very, it's a very necessary and interesting and fascinating aspect, an area we need to come to understand. So to try and say it really in you know succinct terms, it's as though this is one of the ways that I can describe it. Um, karma is two is two things in a way. It is the um, the unfolding of how this situation or these situations create this next moment, which creates this next moment, which creates the next moment. It's kind of cause and effect, like domino effect. Mm-hmm. But there is also in karma, um, the whole understanding of karma, a sense of choice. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of some randomness. Some things can change. If there were just that, Whatever you, you would have no option. You would just have to behave the way you had been programmed to behave, and you would perpetuate endlessly. And that would there would be we'd be locked in on a train track. But there actually is some randomness possible, which is where we get the choice possibility, and we can shift our consciousness. And then our contribution isn't an automatic. Just because I was raised this way, I have these beliefs, and I have to then act this way. So it's possible to then get off that chain. But both are operational. It's not just up to me to choose how it's going to be because there is this whole unfolding that's gone on through time that I'm participating in, but there is also the possibility of some influence here. So because so we needn't feel completely that we're utterly responsible to change everything because there is bigger, but if we feel not, there's nothing but the bigger, then... Why would I bother with anything? Because I'm, I'm just going to be this way and it doesn't make any difference whether I meditate forever or never. I'll just go and eat cream pies. I'll just, <laughs> it's not going to make the slightest difference because I'm, karmic, I'm just a karmic response. But there's both. And so given the circumstances of unfolding, which are bigger than me, so there's not a lot I can do about it, but there is some. And so I'll do my best. But it will only be so much. So we don't have to take full responsibility, but we mustn't take no responsibility. 
Somebody else. Last one. I just want to offer, I know you know, I just want to offer that the Buddha said, if you try to understand karma, it will make you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> if you try to understand karma, it will make you crazy. I mean, there, it's philosophy. It's fabulously interesting, and we need to keep studying and discussing and see for ourselves what's so for ourselves. Remember always, the way to freedom is through experience. It's practical. Do not let yourself get too disturbed by spinning minds, because that actually ends up just spinning wheels. But we still need to know a certain amount, and we have these great minds that want to understand. So it's okay a certain amount, but now go ahead practicing. Come back down and be here and feel your heart. The practice of all of this is to be with your heart in a spacious, friendly, curious way. Please carry on. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.